Welcome to Aliyah Yomi. Today we're going to be learning Vayechi Rishon, the first Aliyah in Parshas Vayechi. Our Parsha is a short one. It be, is in a total of 85 Psukim. Our first Aliyah runs from Perik Memzaim Pasuk Chavches to Perik Memches Pasuk. That being a total of 13 Psukim. Let's take a look at a brief overview of our Aliyah and then jump into some points to ponder. We hear that Yaakov has lived in the land of Egypt for 17 years. And at this point in time, we're told that his life is 147 years old. By Yikravu Yisrael, Yimei Yisrael, almost the days of Israel came towards dying. And he calls his son Yosef and he says, I, if I found favor in your eyes, I want you to place your hand beneath my thigh and do chesed ve'emes, do kindness and truth with me. Do not bury me in the land of Egypt. Rather, I would like to be buried in the, 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 the burial grounds of my patriarchs, says Yaakov. And Yosef agrees. Yaakov asks Yosef to swear upon this and he does, at which point Yaakov bows uh, towards the head of the bed to Yosef. Then we hear a later episode that occurs that Yosef gets the message that Yaakov, his father, has become sick. So he takes with him his two sons, Menashe and Ephraim, and he comes to um, he comes to his father. And his father explains to him, when I was in Luz, which is the area of Beis El, I, uh, Hashem appeared to me and he says, I'm going to make you a great nation and I'm going to give you this land as an eternal inheritance. And these two children that you had in Egypt are going to be like my own two children. Ephraim and Menashe will be like Reuven and Shimon to me. Um, and they will be or have received their own portions in the land that I was promised. Then Yaakov goes on to explain that when he was on his way back to the land of Canaan, he buried Rachel on the side of the road, on the way to Ephrat, he based Lechem by Bethlehem. At which point Yaakov turns to Israel, sees the children of Yosef, and he says, Mi who are these children? And Yosef explains, these are the children that God gave me in Egypt. And he says, bring them to me and I will bless them. Very curious. Two separate episodes, two focusing around burial, around death, around the land of Israel. One has to appreciate this in context. So let's start off with the first basic point, and that is if you look at the syntax, if you open up a Sefer Torah today and you look at the beginning of Parshas Vayechi, it's hard to find the beginning of Parshas Vayechi because it is a parasha which begins in the middle of a paragraph. It's not usually like paragraph breaked, broken up. This is in the mid-paragraph. Why is that? Why is this parasha the one that starts almost as if mid-sentence, mid-paragraph? What's going on? Rashi gives us two options. One is that once Yaakov had died, that's when the eyes and the hearts of Israel were closed up. Sometimes when the patriarch is there, that leader, that vision of what the world should be, of where we should be going, the ideals we should be having, that disappears and their eyes are closed up. So it's almost as if it's like it's hard to find. The beginning of this process is also hard to understand where to go. A compass in which we are telling us which direction to go when Yaakov Vino and the patriarch is no longer in a strange land. Rashi gives another possibility and that we're going to explore a little later that Yaakov Vino wanted to reveal the end of days to his children, the end of his life, and yet that was taken away from him. So that idea of it being taken away of the hiddenness is expressed in the very syntax itself in that this, par- this paragraph, this parasha begins mid-paragraph in a hidden way as well. You'll notice when describing the fact that he's coming to the wards end of his life, the Torah uses a very enigmatic statement. It says, Vayikravu yemei Yisrael lamus. Ravli translated, it means that his days are coming to an end. But that's not actually how it goes. There's a personification over here, which almost suggests as if the days of Israel came close to dying. Vayikravu yemei Yisrael lamus. They are almost the subject of the sentence. How does that work exactly? So the Igra de Kala, that is the, the Dineva, 
Bnei Yisachar has a very beautiful comment on the, the Torah where he says that in fact it was almost as if the days of Yaakov gathered before him in front of his deathbed and each day could be validated in front of him. Each day could explain why it was necessary, why it was used, how it was checked off in the correct way. Can we all do that? Does every day of our lives really count or they just uh, monotony and we try to kill the time that we live? Yaakov was able to substantiate every single one of his days. In the words of Abraham Lincoln, and in the end, it's not the years in your life that count, it's the life in your years. That's what's going on over here. Yaakov Vino had the life in every year. He had the day in every year. Now, what is this business about putting the hand under the thigh? So Rashi goes back to the idea that this it refers to a shavua, an oath, and the oath is made on a chefetz uh, de mitzvah, an item of a mitzvah, referring to his brismila, and therefore this refers to how the covenant was, was binding. However, the Malbim has a different idea, which we already saw in Parshish Chayi Sara, where the Malbim says that it's a metaphoric presentation where he's saying his thigh is where he sits on. It's what supports a person. It's the strongest muscle in the body, which supports the main frame of the human being. So what he's saying is, is that uh, my weight is going to rest upon your hands. My business is yet unfinished and I need your hands to continue my business, to continue my legacy. That's what he's saying when he says, I'm resting my weight on your hands. I need you to do this for me. Like Avram said to Eliezer about finding the right person for his son Yitzhak to get married. Now, and why was it so important for him to be buried in the land of Canaan? Why was this his last request? Says the um, Rashi, three very basic reasons. Number one is, is that he was concerned that he would biodegrade and his flesh would turn into the dust, which would ultimately be turning into the kinim, into the plague of lice, which is what would be the third plague in Egypt in a number of decades, and he did not want that to be the case. Another possibility, a second possibility is, is that Rashi explains that there is a pain when it comes to resurrection that occurs in Chutzlaretz, in the diaspora, for a, for a body to return for resurrection at the time of the resurrection of the dead to the land of Israel is a painful process and he wanted to avoid that notion of Gilgul Mechilos, of the, the, the idea of his body going through these underground tunnels to return to the land of Israel to be reconstituted. And finally, the third idea is also very pragmatic, is that, that Yaakov Vinu was concerned that his body would ultimately be worshipped as a shrine because the Egyptians respected him, respected his family, and he wanted to avoid that possibility as well. Another question, why does he ask at the end of the Aliyah, who are these children, when just a moment ago he said they are like Reuven and Shimon? So why does that work? Why, why does he not know who they are? I would suggest that perhaps he's asking the very basic question that everybody who's lived in the diaspora experiences asked about their children is, who are these children? Are these children Egyptians or are they Hebrews? It's a question that we're all going to be asked. Are our children, and you can put it in the blank, Americans, Canadians, South Africans, Australians, in, um, Argentinians, or are they Jewish? That's a question that Yosef is being asked by his father is, in the end of the day, how did the education go? In the end of the day, what is their first person identification? How identified are they with the culture around them and how identified are they with their own culture? Their culture telling the story of 30,000 years. Um, now, what does it mean when ya Yaakov says that Ephraim and Menashe are like Reuven and Shimon? Chizkuni gives us two options. One is he's getting the double portion here because he was the one who sustained the entire family, so you deserve a little extra. However, the Chizkuni brings a second option, that is, is that he is getting the portion of the double right, the Bechorah. Really, this was, should have been attributed to Reuven. Reuven lost his Bechorah in a few ways, and one of the ways he lost it was that he did not get the double portion Yosef did. Yosef was the firstborn of the tribe of Rachel. Of, of the mother of Rachel, and that's why he is getting the double portion expressed in his two children as well. 
Finally, one last question is, why is Yaakov mentioning the Kvuras Rachel, the burial of Rachel here in this whole Aliyah? Why is this necessary? So Rashi and the Ramban explain, and even Ezra also say this, is that he is trying to ad address a perhaps latent concern or ill that Yosef may feel. After all, ya Yaakov Avinu is asking to be buried in the land of Egypt, in the land of Canaan, to, to not be buried in the land of Egypt. But Yosef, in his own mind, may have an ill which he harbors against his father in that his mother, Rachel, was not taken to the land directly into the Ma'aras and Machpelah, the cave of Machpelah, to be buried. She was buried on the side of the road. So Yaakov is noting that and he says, I know and I didn't bury your mother, your mother in the way that perhaps you would have wanted her to, but I'm still asking you to bury me in the land of Canaan and don't take out that revenge by not doing anything, by just living with the inertia and letting me bury buried wherever it is. This is a very beautiful explanation. However, it doesn't make so much sense. In that, and this is not the correct place to be mentioning this. After all, there are two conversations, there are two incidents that occur in Aliyah. The first is where Yaakov asks to be buried in the land of Canaan, but the second is not about burial. The second is actually about the brachas to, it's when Yaakov is sick, and this is when he's giving the bracha to Menashe and Ephraim. That being the case, this is the wrong place to mention Kvuras Rachel. So why is that? Why is it mentioned over here? It's a very beautiful suggestion given by Rabbi Eli Baruch Shulman, Rosh Hashiva at Yeshiva University, who says a very, very profound insight. And that is, if you go all the way back to the uh, the, the problems that plagued this family, the difficulties and the challenges they had in relationships, you'll see that Rachel and Leah were at odds with one another. What was that Rachel wished so much that she could have? She wanted to have children. Havali Bonim, give me children, if not, I'm going to die. She wants to be the matriarch of Jacob's family, of Yaakov Vinus family. Leah's the opposite. She doesn't have trouble conceiving. She has many children. She just wants the love of her husband. And each of them has what the other one wants so desperately. Rachel is the love that Leah wants, and Leah has the children that Rachel wants so desperately. You see this expressed in the, the episode of the Dudaim, these these. Um, um, flowers which have certain um, fertility uh, properties where what is happening is Rachel is trading love which she has which is so to speak what the the asset that she has for the opportunity of fertility of children which is what, what it is that Leah happens, has and it doesn't change anything. Leah still remains in the same degree of what she feels is unloved and Rachel ultimately it doesn't conceive then. Leah does that night. She has more children. And this, this continues. In fact, it expresses itself in the children. We're not going to get into that right now, but we see the same idea where Yosef has, has this notion of, um, of wanting to be this leader among the tribes. He wants to be the, 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 the leading tribe of, among all his brothers um, and the other brothers feeling less loved. All expression, the continuation of their mother's feelings. What ends up happening is that they, the, the brothers make peace with themselves, Yehuda being able to sacrifice himself for the child of Rachel, and Yosef being realizing that the brothers' hate and animosity for him was Lemechia, was for to sustain the world. They make peace themselves, but when it comes to the mothers, this is where the two ideas are converging. In this Aliyah, it's where Yaakov Avinu makes two uh, points. He says, on the one hand, I'm going to tell you, um, Yosef, that your mother did not get buried with me in Ma'arasamach Pela. She ultimately did not get, she did not get the love that perhaps you thought was deserving of her because Leah ended up getting the love she deserved. She got the love in the end. And Rachel so wanted all these children, she wanted to have more children. Well, I'll give her that, that gift by giving her the Bechorah, by giving her children the double portion. Ultimately, each of the mothers, the matriarchs, receiving the part 
or the peace that they themselves had so desperately wanted but never got during their lifetimes necessarily. In, in all of our lives we have gaps between what, we, what it is that we have and what it is that we want. We have blessings, we also have challenges. The test of maturity, really the way to, to the secret of being able to do this is appreciate the cards that we've been dealt. And it comes to its full perspective, its full circle here in our Aliyah, where Leah and Rachel finally reach restitution. That's why it is that the Kavuras Rachel, the burial of Rachel, is juxtaposed to Menashe and Ephraim receiving this double portion. With this, we conclude the first Aliyah in Vayechi. In the meantime, have a wonderful meaningful.